So Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Let me read it for us. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I don't know if you are anything like I am, but there's been times in my life when I've had a lot of questions, and I've actually questioned the whole fact of salvation. And I've questioned whether I am really saved or not. I've questioned whether I've done enough good or I have prayed enough or I've read enough verses in the Bible or I've told people about Jesus enough so that my salvation is secure. I remember as a little boy, I made a profession of faith. I asked Christ to forgive me of all my sin. I trusted Jesus as my Savior. But for some reason in that process and in teaching and going to church, I began to think that my salvation was started in faith, but there were these other things I had to do to secure my salvation and to hold on to my salvation. And for those of you, and I'm kind of dating myself, um, remember uh, that whole Hal Lindsey kind of... uh, stories about rapture and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that was really strong in the day when I was growing up. And so uh, what was being taught um, and is still in some circles taught today is uh, the rapture of the saints. And so I remember when I was, uh, and, and the saints will be raptured, but, but that Christ was coming back and then we would all be raptured before the tribulation so at a pre-tribulation rapture. And I remember as a little boy, be playing, and, and I knew my mom and sisters were around, and, and then all of a sudden, everything got quiet. And I sat there, and I listened. And I would even hold my breath, hoping that I would hear some kind of noise. And then I would frantically walk, initially start walking, and then I ended up, running from room to room, and I found myself calling my mom, Mom! Mom! Or I would call my youngest sister, Grace, Grace! Grace! See, because I was pretty sure that if Jesus came back, Mom was going to heaven. I didn't know about Susanna and Deborah, but I knew Grace was going to heaven because Grace prayed, and every time Grace prayed, things happened. So I figured if Grace prays and things happen, then she's got a straight line to heaven, and if Jesus came back... Grace wouldn't be here. And if I'm here and Grace isn't here, Mom's not here, then something's happened and I've been left behind. (laughs) Paul is is speaking to the church in, in in, in Colossians. And 
uh, he is wanting to assure them that their faith, that their, their, their salvation experience started in faith. And, and so there in, in verse 6 he says, Therefore you, therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And so he's saying to them, you had uh, an experience with Jesus Christ. You received Jesus Christ through faith. It wasn't Jesus Christ through faith, and now it's a bunch of pluses that bring you salvation and that assure you your salvation. But he's saying to the, the church in Colossians, he said, remember back when uh, Epaphras came and he shared with you about who Jesus was and about your decision to follow Christ and receive Christ by faith, and receive salvation in that manner. Now, what I want you to do is continue to walk in it. So it's, it's an ongoing process. You receive Christ by faith. Our relationship starts by faith. And for some reason, as a little boy, I thought it was that salvation experience plus a bunch of other things. And I've come to realize that that's not the case. The case is that we receive Jesus Christ by faith. Not faith is an ongoing faith. And that's why Paul talks about walking in faith. It's not just like standing in faith. It's an ongoing walking. It's an active action that goes on. You remember Ken talked to us, uh, and he used in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Ken was talking to us about a walk worthy of the Lord. And Paul uses this term walking in, in describing what our faith is to be like, what our salvation is to be like. It's not a passive, it's an active. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, which is a companion book to the book of Colossians, Paul uh, uses that term walk or walk in faith at least seven times throughout the book of Ephesians because it's an ongoing active thing that we're involved in. Our salvation is once, but is ongoing. It's an ongoing work of the Lord. Now, the Colossians church, these young Christians, were faced with uh, Gnosticism, a teaching about material. And the Gnostic uh, teachers were trying to say, okay, well, you're, you're a Christ follower, but let me tell you, there's even more news. There's new truth that you need to know. You need to know more knowledge. And, and that's what's going to secure your, your salvation or your walk in Christ. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. I want to remind you. You remember back when Epaphras told you about Jesus and you received Christ by faith? It was receiving Him by faith. And, and, and it's a continual walking in faith. And as we move to... Uh, Verse 7 there, there's a couple words that jump out to us in our walk in faith. And the first word is, and, and verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That word root, rooted in Christ. Rooted in Jesus Christ our Lord. Root is an agricultural term. And the people of his day understood agriculture. And they understood that uh, about roots. And they understood that when a tree is planted, it has roots that grow down into the soil. 
And Paul is saying to the church in Colossians, and he's saying to us today, when you came to Christ, you were rooted in the soil of Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that Greek term there that, that's, uh, that's used, it's a once for all having been rooted. So it's a secure thing. You're rooted in Jesus Christ. You're not going to be pulled up and placed in a different soil, but you're rooted in the soil of Jesus Christ. And, and he, he's basically saying, as followers of Christ, we're not a bunch of tumbleweeds. We have roots to us. Now, this year has been the first year that I've ever really experienced what a tumbleweed is about. April and I live out here partway between here and Hudson, and we live on a place that is a lot of those of you who are locals know what Windy Ridge is. And Windy Ridge is very windy. And I remember not long after uh, things had dried up in the summer and we were headed into the fall and the wind started picking up, looking out and seeing these balls of weeds tumbling across our yard. And I'm going, oh, those are the same things that are stuck in the fence. Those must be tumbleweeds because they're tumbling around. And as Christians, we're not to be a bunch of tumbling weeds. Our lives are to be securely grounded and rooted in Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul uh, reminds us of that. Yesterday as I was, I was going somewhere, uh, I looked out and on the right-hand side, there stuck in a fence was this tumbleweed. And I was reminded that my walk in Jesus Christ is not to be hung up in the fence of life, but I'm to be grounded in, in, in the soil of Jesus Christ. I'm to be rooted. And so as followers of Jesus, we're to be rooted in Christ. So Paul also says to us that the purpose of us being rooted in Christ is so that we're not blown around like the wind blows a tumbleweed. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And so the purpose of our roots being down deep in Jesus and established in Him is so that we won't be carried away by false doctrine and false beliefs and, and deceit of this world. Now how do we put our roots down? We put our roots down by spending time reading God's Word. God's Word, this Bible, the inerrant Word of God, the absolute truth for all of morality, is what is our guide, what leads us, what shows us what we're to do. And so if we want our roots to grow deep, we spend time in God's Word, reading it contemplating it, thinking about it, memorizing it. In order to grow our roots deep, we need to spend time praying. And our roots are grown deeper as we pray and spend time in prayer. And as you pray, God answers prayer. And the consequence of that is what Paul talks about in being built up, that our faith is built up, that, that our faith is strengthened. And so we need to spend time reading God's Word. We need to spend time uh, praying. And we need to spend time doing exactly what we're doing this morning, 
together with other believers, fellowshipping and praising and worshiping God. And those are the things that bring nourishment up through the roots of our lives as we walk in faith. In 2 Colossians verse 7, he uses another word. He uses the word or the imagery of being built up. Being built up in Jesus Christ. He's reminding the Colossians church that first of all they're rooted and that they're being built up. And they're not being built up on just any old foundation. They're being built up on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The, The idea here is that we are to be being built up. To be being built up. Constantly being built up by Jesus Christ. And Paul wants the Colossians, and he wants us to know that we are not built on a shaky foundation. That just as our our salvation experience started with a walk of faith, so is that building foundation. Building on the foundation of Jesus Christ is a a faith-building process. And then uh, later on he talks about established in faith. Established in faith sometimes is translated strengthened in faith. That your faith is strengthened in Jesus Christ. Now how can our faith be strengthened in Jesus Christ? Well, one of the ways our our faith is strengthened in Jesus Christ is that when we spend time praying and asking God for specific things and specific needs that we have, and God answers those in miraculous ways, what happens to your faith? It's strengthened. It's built up. Your belief in God becomes greater and greater and stronger and stronger. And so Paul is saying to them that, They are to be rooted in Christ. They are to be built in Christ. And they're to be strengthened in the Christ. And these three areas are things that Christ does in and through us. We can't do it on our own. He has to be the central part of that. He has to be the one that brings us nourishment through through his word. He has to be the one that he is there answering our prayers. He's the one that's strengthening our prayers. And the end part of this verse, in verse 7, it says, abounding in thanksgiving. That's the result of being built up, being rooted, and our strength, our faith being strengthened. Uh, it, that word abound is an interesting word. The idea of abound means it's kind of similar to uh, when, a, when a river becomes full and overflows its banks, that That word bound there in the Greek is abounding in thanksgiving. So the overflowing of thanksgiving. It's not just thanksgiving in this little trough, but constantly overflowing. Now, I know that a couple years ago, I think the Papoja River went over its banks. Who all was here when that happened? Yeah, see, there's a great amount of people. So when you think of this word, abound, and you connect it to faith, Think of the Papoja River when it went over the edges. What was the result of that? It went into people's yards. It went actually into people's houses. And unfortunately, because it's water, it brought destruction. But what Paul's saying here is this abounding in thanksgiving. So because of everything that Christ has done and because of our salvation and because we're rooted and built up and established in faith, Our thanksgiving towards God should be just like the Papoja River when it goes over the banks. 
It goes everywhere. And so we need to be people of thanksgiving. Not because of what we have materially, but because of what we have in Christ. Now, I don't know what kind of a person you like to hang around. You like to hang around a grumpy, complaining, whining person? Or do you like to hang around a person that's thankful, full of thanksgiving, and happy and joyous, and expressing their joy and happiness through thanksgiving because of what Christ has done for them. Those are the kind of people I like to hang around with. They help me when my day is bad, being around a thankful person. I love being around my mom, not because, not only because of the good food that she cooks and not because of the funny stories she tells, but because my mom has learned the art of thanksgiving. And she is always thankful, always thankful no matter what situation I've seen my mom in, she's learned the art of thanksgiving. And that's one of the things that's super attractive to me. Not only that it's because she's my birth mom, but because of the thankfulness that oozes from her. And if you're around her very much, you would understand why wherever she is, there are people that gather around her because she's a person of thanksgiving. And that's what Paul's saying to, to us. And he says to the church in Colossians that, those are the things that are supposed to be the marks of, uh, of our lives. And then now, now, as we look through the Scripture, there's a transition that takes place. In Colossians 2, verse 8, Paul begins to warn us. Warn us uh, about what can happen to us if we are not rooted and built up and established and thankful in our faith. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human traditions and according to the elementary spirits of the world, not according to Christ. He uses that word captive. Captive indicates being in bondage or being in slavery. And Paul is saying, don't let anyone take you captive. Ephesians 6 Verse, and, the, and the 12th verse says, tells us that we're in a battle. And we talked about this a couple months ago. That our battle is not a struggle against flesh and blood, but our battle is against principalities and spirits in wicked and dark places. And so we can be taken captive. And we can be carried away by the enemy. And so Paul is saying to us, be careful that you're not taken captive. What are you not to be taken captive by? You're not to be ca take, taken captive by philosophy. Empty philosophies of man. Paul's speaking to the Colossians church because they're dealing with Gnostics and people who are pushing wisdom and new wisdom and new thoughts. And, and, and philosophy isn't bad. Philosophy is actually good, but there is false philosophy and there's true philosophy. And the true philosophy is a way of living, the knowledge that we get from God, from God's Word. You know, today we, we need to heed this warning that Paul gives to the church of Colossians because there are philosophies all around us that are 
vying for our attention and wanting to, to take us captive. And one of those philosophies that, that we're taught and that we see all around us is a philosophy of materialism. That things will make us happy. Material stuff that we possess is actually what causes us and helps us to be happy. We see that all around us. We just got done with one of the greatest seasons in the world. I think the number one time and the best part, the thing I like most of all in the year is, is Easter. Because Easter is the time when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And reminded of our salvation and the security of our salvation. Christmas is the second for me. And I enjoy Christmas because of family and because of the reminder that God loved us so much that he sent his son, born as a babe. But this world has hijacked Christmas and basically tells us and bombards us from when? It used to be like the 1st of December. Now it starts almost in September or October of advertisements of what we need to be thinking about when it comes to the Christmas season. And some of us, and most of us, have all been involved in buying and giving of gifts. The world tells you that the reason you get these gifts is because they will bring you happiness and they will bring you fulfillment. And if you have them, then all of your needs will be taken care of. The idea that stuff and possessions makes us happy is the philosophy of materialism. Our true happiness only comes in Christ. You know, I've lived overseas for quite a few years of my life. And I know it doesn't make sense. But I, I have seen more people with less things happier than I've ever seen here in the United States. I, I have this image of a little boy running down the street with the rim of a bicycle, a stick in his hand, and he's got the stick in his hand, and it's caught in between the rim of the bicycle rim, and he's just pushing it along. And three guys behind him, they're laughing and shouting, and they do that for hours on end. Not a whole lot of stuff. Just an empty bicycle rim and a stick. And they're happier than the kid that's sitting there with the Nintendo wearing his thumbs out, frustrated and throwing the controllers on the ground. <laughs> because the world tells us the more possessions we have, the happier we will be. A philosophy of human material thinking. Now, there's another philosophy. It's called human logic. Things need to add up or be reconciled to human thinking and human logic. And if it doesn't make sense, it can't be true. And yet, when we contrast the Scripture, uh, God in the book of Isaiah tells us, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. So just because what we read in God's Word sometimes doesn't make sense, doesn't mean it's not true. And yet the world is teaching us a false philosophy that if it doesn't make sense and it doesn't line up with you logically, 
it's not true. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. Our way of thinking is often not the way of thinking that God has. And so we need to be, be careful of being caught in, in that philosophy of, of uh, human logic. Another voice that's being presented to us and screamed at us from all areas now is this whole idea of tolerance. And that we need to tolerate everything. The simple definition from the book of Webster is willing to accept feelings, habits, or behaviors that are different from our own. That's tolerance. Now, tolerance isn't bad. In fact, tolerance is a good thing. But tolerance taking it in the wrong direction is destructive. A friend of mine, his name is Jeff, uh, was telling a story about what happened to his daughter just recently in, in high school. I think it was about the second week of school. They were taken on a field trip, um, and uh, the field trip ended up in this beautiful area similar to what we have here on a very tall mountain or cliff overlooking the expanses of a gorgeous valley. And so all the students were up there, and they were overlooking the valley, and, <clears throat> and the teacher said, now, okay, everybody, look at what you see. Take it all in. Take it all in, all the beauty and everything. Take it in. And now close your eyes, shut your eyes, and think about what you saw. And let that move down through you, across your shoulders. Let it move down into your chest. Now it's coming down into your stomach, your core. And let it move down through your feet, your right foot down through your right leg, your left leg, down into your feet, and now let it be planted and rooted into the earth. What was she teaching? She was teaching pantheism, boldly and out front. And that's a lie, a deception from the enemy of our souls. And we're to tolerate that. And yet, in the same school, it's not tolerated to talk about God's Word, His absolute truth, because His Word and His absolute truth calls into question the value of something so simple as marriage. What is marriage? And we face that today in our society. It's a, it's a philosophy that's being taught that marriage is no longer between one man and one woman. But marriage can be between two men and two women. And that's contrary to what God's Word says. And that's a philosophy that we're being fed. And we're told that we need to tolerate this. And God's Word is intolerant towards that. This is his absolute word. Amen? Amen. And so Paul is saying to us, be aware of what's going on. Be aware of what's being taught to you. We're taught that people who are following Buddha or people who are following Hindu or people who are 
Muslims or who are mystics who are praying to a creator, but they're praying to the same God as we pray to. And that we need to tolerate that and we need to accept that and we need to really get with it and understand that. And yet Scripture, in John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus' word from this Scripture. And in Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 5, it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You see, when the Buddhists and the Hindus and the mystics and the Muslims are praying to a God, they're not praying to our God because they are not praying to God through Jesus Christ, the Son of our living God. And so we need to be very careful about the philosophies and the things that are taught around us. Now in that 8th verse of of Colossians, he also says that we are not to be taken captive by philosophy and by empty deceit, according to human traditions. Ken and I have a mutual friend. His name is Mark Bugna. Uh, Mark's wife, Amy, likes to play a game with his daughters. The games that she plays with his daughters are spot the lie. So when they sit down and start watching television and an ad comes on, she says, spot the lie. And I think that's a really important game to learn to play as followers of Jesus because we are fed a package of lies daily, day in and day out. Let me take a a simple example. Advertisement about alcohol. What are the two things in almost every alcoholic advertisement or every uh, advertisement on beer that is presented? Sports and sexuality. Now, if you're not a good athlete, three beers won't make you a pro, right? And if you're not good-looking, I don't know how many shots of liquor it takes, but you still will not be good-looking. But the person you're looking at might start to be good-looking. In fact, I think there's a song called Beer Goggles or something like that, right? But when we look at advertisements about alcohol, it tells us that if we are involved in that, and if we drink it, if you drink it enough, you will become whatever they're trying to present to you. Now, I don't want you to think that I am totally against a glass of wine or uh, an occasional beer, but I am wanting to follow Scripture principles, and the Scriptural principles is, is do not be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with alcohol. But that's not what the advertisement's trying to say. They want us to consume large amounts of it. Because if we do, we become amazing athletes or fabulously good-looking people. And that is a lie. There are many advertisements that we see. And so we need to be uh, aware of the deceptions that take place all around us. Be aware of spotting the lie. Because those lies creep into our lives and they make us make, they help us in making our decisions 
And many of those decisions are not based on God's word, but are based on lies. The church in Colossians was faced with with human tradition and, and the deceit that was being taken place because the Pharisees had like over 600 rules and regulations that were being given to them. And, uh, and they were saying, it's yeah, you're a, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but there's more to it than this. These are the things you need to do in order to secure your salvation. And next week, I'm sure that when Ken speaks about it, our next passage, we'll talk about some of those traditions and some of the things that, that uh, church in Corinthians and Colossians were being pressured by. And Paul is saying, saying to us and saying to the church in Colossians that we need to remember that our salvation comes from Christ and Christ alone. In closing, Colossians 2, 9 through 10, uh, the apostle writes, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And this verse is so encouraging because what Paul's saying is that we need to remember that everything that is in Christ is in us because Jesus Christ dwells in us. And Jesus Christ is the authority over all. And because he dwells in us, guess what? We have the ability to spot the lie we have the ability to resist and come against false philosophies and teachings of deceitful things in this world. I hate to say it, but the truth is that from many of the pulpits across this nation, the truth isn't always taught. Like Ken said, it may sound truish, but it's not always true be aware. And the good news is you can be aware and you are empowered by the indwelling of Jesus Christ in your life. Because you have been rooted in Him. You have been built up in Him. Your faith has been established in Him. And so because of that we can be thankful and our thankfulness can be overflowing. Because we do have the power and the authority over all rule because Jesus Christ dwells within us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for dwelling in us today. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to be diligent in spotting the lie. Help us to be diligent and rejecting false philosophies and deception. And help us to stand in you and you alone, Christ Jesus. In your precious name, I pray.